them. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Now, here remember as we looked at chapter 13, he was talking about let's wake up spiritually. Uh, the Lord's coming back and His time. He's coming back as sooner than when you first believed and we need to put off uh, the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, begin to walk properly. And then he ends there in verse 14 of chapter 13, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't make any provisions to fulfill the lust. Now, the problem with that is, is some things cause provisions for some people for the flesh and they don't cause provisions for other people for the flesh. There's some things that I lean towards that are my weaknesses. And so I have many convictions about certain areas of my life that I can't have it or I need to always have it or I can't be around it because of my weakness. But there's somebody else who has no problem being around that or being a part of that. It doesn't affect their spiritual walk at all. Now, I want to say, well, my weakness is everybody's weakness. And I don't like the idea that you say I'm weak and you're not. So I want everybody to do this. But in reality, not everybody needs to do it or not to do it. It really does depend upon their personal struggles and their flesh. Now, there's sins that are common to all men. There's no sin that's not common to all men. But nevertheless, uh, they show up in different ways. So we all struggle with pride to one degree or another. But some areas you may struggle, and other areas you may not struggle with pride. And so... Uh, for some people, they go out to try to play sports, and it's just a very fleshly thing for them. And God may say, you know, you need to put that on the back burner for a while. Somebody else, they go out, they're just as aggressive, and it's not a, a prideful thing at all. They win, lose, doesn't really matter. Whether people, they got to win, man. If they don't win, you know, somebody's going to be bleeding by the end of the game. You know, it's, there's people like that. And they need to chill out. And, and really, sports for them is making a provision for the flesh. Now, I don't drink. I have no desire to drink alcohol whatsoever. But there's some guys that struggle in that area. Now, I know some guys that have never drank, but they know if they ever drink, it will be a problem for them. They just know how they are. They know their personality. They know their body. They've seen the history of it in their own family. Um... And it's just the way it is, so they, they stay away from it. There's others that have struggled in the past with alcohol. And they can remember back as youths, and, and they remember through their 20s and their 30s going to Padre games or the Charger game and, and drinking. And, and, and now for them to go to a Padre game and smell the alcohol, it's overwhelming for them. Their flesh is screaming. And they're trying to think of a way to sneak away from their Christian friends and, and drink a beer. And, and that's a struggle with them. And so every time they go, they're, they're trying to just fight this overwhelming temptation. 
And so really, it's a, they're making provision. So if they went with some buddies from work that weren't Christians, they're really foolish because they're making provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust. And if their buddy comes walking back saying, hey, I bought you a beer too, it could plunge them back into a life of alcoholism. And so for them to set themselves up for some pleasure, you know, God's given us all things to enjoy. Baseball's amoral. But yet, if it's going to take opportunity to make them immoral, then they need to just stay away from it. But Brian, baseball is such a pleasure. Yeah, but for them, alcoholism was such hell. And so for a time, or maybe for 20 years, or 30 years, or maybe forever, that's something that is a provision for the flesh. Now, for them to get up and say, anybody that goes to Padre games is going to end up being an alcoholic. It's sin. You shouldn't go. For them, that's true. But for another guy, it may not be true at all. He goes there and he smells his beer and it sort of turns his stomach and he's just a yuck. You know, I, I am not interested at all. It doesn't in any way, shape, or form tempt them. They just want to watch a good baseball game. And that's it for them. Now, we see here in chapter 14, he says, so in verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not dispute or argue over doubtful things, or a better way of saying it, peripheral issues. So there's things that are very clear in the Bible, right? Don't steal. Well, stealing may be wrong for you, but it's not it's wrong for me. No, it's wrong for everybody, whether you feel it's wrong or not. Fornication is wrong. Well, don't put a trip on me, brother, just because I'm living with my girlfriend. You know, I don't see any uh, sin in it at all. Well, it's sin. It's clear, and, and you need to repent. It's not my trip. It's sin. God calls it plainly, very clearly, sin. And he said, don't be deceived. Fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So it, this is not a peripheral issue. But there are issues that either culturally at the time were not brought up within the scriptures, although the principles are there, or they're just really depends on the situation. And so there's, again, that, that issue of drinking. Now, I could make a very strong argument, and I would say I have 99.99% of you agreeing with me that they should never take a drink of alcohol again. There are numbers of scriptures that say it's a very unwise thing to do. Solomon plainly told his son in Proverbs 31, don't drink, period. Don't drink wine. Don't drink strong drink. It's for people who are dying, people who are in pain, and for fools. Not for wise men, and definitely not for kings, because you pervert justice, and also because uh, you won't be able to lead soberly as you ought, and, you, and you'll end up swaying one way or the other. He says plainly there in Proverbs 31. Paul, is that you? Okay. He, he looked down, so I didn't know. Shut the phone off, please. <laughs> they can't shut it off. 
put a bucket of water. <laughs> Works every time. Okay, we'll try to go on. <laughs> They're trying to get it out. Okay, we forgive you, brother or sister. So, the point, though, is, is that you have a weaker brother who has studied the Scriptures out, and he has gone through the Scriptures, and scripturally he is convinced that drinking absolutely under any situation is wrong for him. It's wrong. So it would be wrong for you to try to debate with him otherwise. Don't argue over these issues. Now, if he tries to put you in bondage by saying, hey, you cannot drink alcohol under any circumstance, it's wrong. Then at that point, you can take out some scriptures and say, you know, here's the scriptures that God showed me. And I, I don't necessarily feel it's wrong for me. And at that point, you see, you really don't want to argue this issue because really it's going to end up causing him to stumble. If you can weaken his conviction, you've done a wrong thing. Because most likely than not, he was already thinking, this is a weakness of mine and I want to be convinced not to do it. And the best way for me to be convinced not to do it is that God's told me not to do it. And that helps me because I have a tendency to obey the Lord and me, and, and if it's me making it up only for myself, then it would weaken my conviction. And so for me, scripturally, it's wrong, period. Now, I personally... I'm a weaker brother. I, I don't drink. I haven't drank. But I, I see it. It's just clear in the scriptures to me. I, I read there in Leviticus chapter 10, priests are not to drink. Proverbs chapter 31, kings are not to drink. Revelation chapter 1, 6, you are kings and priests. Unto God, we're not to drink. I personally believe Jesus never drank any alcoholic beverage. Why? Because... He was a king. He was a priest. And if he commanded his priest, he commanded his kings, and he was a king and a priest, then he would himself never have drank any alcoholic beverage. You say, but hold it. He says, the Bible says he drank wine. Well, I'd like you to show me that verse. Okay. Um, I do believe at that time, and history bears it out, that they had a very, very diluted uh, wine, but the alcoholic content was almost zero, and children drank it. Little babies drank it, as well as adults, because it was uh, a type of grape juice. Is basically what it was. And you can even read there in Proverbs. Um, matter of fact, why don't we turn over there, chapter 23, in verse 19. And this is, again, God speaking. So it's hard to imagine Jesus who is telling Solomon this wisdom to write, then himself would turn around and drink. In Proverbs 23, verse 19, Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Verse 20, Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. But yet, what did they call Jesus? A wine-bibber and a glutton. They called him that. He wasn't a glutton. He was not a wine-bibber. But they 
accused him of that, but he had said earlier, they're going to say lying things about you, so did they all the prophets before you. For the drunken and the glutton will come to poverty, the, dr the drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it, also the wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress to the narrow well. She also lies in wait for her victims, increases the unfaithfulness among men. Who, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls about sm smoothly. And at last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will be see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies on the top of the mast saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? And then also Proverbs, since you're there, chapter 31, verse 4 that verse I had mentioned earlier, it is not for kings, and Jesus truly was a king, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, that's pretty clear, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law, pervert the justice of all the afflicted, give strong drink to him who is perishing, wine to those who are bitter of heart, let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Even on the cross, uh, Jesus there uh, as they tried to offer him some alcoholic um, beverage mixed with some other stuff to to take, he he refused it. Now the guy arguing, saying, "Well, yeah, but Jesus made wine. Yeah, he did. And Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach. And I can come back and I can argue, yeah, but he had to command him to do it. He wasn't doing it even when he had a stomach problem." He was pretty strong convicted that he wasn't going to drink even if he had a stomach problem. Paul had to command him and Timothy was following Paul's tradition, the way of life. He said, Timothy's going to come to you. He's going to show you my way of life, my traditions of how I live and how I do things. And then you can come back. And, I, and now we start arguing over this point. And so there's people out there going, man, I'm from European descent. And every... Christmas, the family, we all have a little bit of wine and we have a cheer and, and we speak blessings on one another and we drink, you know, a little bit of wine. That's all I drink all year. That's it. And you're telling me it's wrong? And so what happens, you see, is we end up getting in an argument over doubtful things. There are certain cultures that drink wine and beer and it's not that big of an issue. There are other cultures who drink alcohol and the whole culture just about is alcoholics. Russia, all through Russia and Poland and, and Hungary and Yugoslavia, it, it's hard to find somebody who's not plastered by 8, 9 o'clock, go home and mistreat their wife and the kids and... It, 
it's hard not to find people. They're miserable, and they use alcohol as their way out. There's many people who use alcohol to calm their nerves and so forth, and I, I don't think it's good. I think they need to read their Bible and let that calm their nerves. I think they're using it as a way to change their heart and change their mind, make it cloudy, make it drowsy so they can veg. I don't think it's healthy. But Brian, you don't know. If I don't drink wine, I get a migraine. Well, you know what? I'm not going to get an argument. We're not going to get... Because see, now as we start going back and forth, how your body reacts, how my body reacts, how it is good for you, how it would be bad for me, how... And then all of a sudden, I can't listen to you preach anymore. i got to go to a different church. Oh, now, you see what happened? We have broke fellowship. This is exactly what God doesn't want to happen. And so you come to church and you sit next to the guy and it's like, oh, there's that guy who thinks I'm a drunkard because I drink wine once a year. <laughs> there's that carnal person that drinks alcohol. I can't believe they're sitting next to me. And, and although you don't want to feel animosity, you feel animosity. Although you don't want to feel judged by them or are, are, are reluctant to want to be around them, you do. Now, if it's issues over doctrine, like I'm saying, not peripheral issues, if it's issues over doctrine, you see, then we need to argue it out. And if we divide ways over that, so be it. Paul divided ways in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy over a group of guys who had a spurious teaching, and he nailed them, and, and he told Timothy, get in their face, and they keep doing it, kick them out. So I'm not saying we're not to have arguments over doctrinal things. We are to argue over doctrinal things. We've got to hold the ground of the truth. The truth is the truth is the truth. It's not going to change. And if somebody tries to pervert it, we've got to stand up for the truth. Because it's only the truth that's going to set people free. And a perversion of the truth is going to put people in bondage. But there are doubtful things. There are things that are gray. There are gray issues. Now, the problem is is most of those gray issues are not gray to anybody in this room. They are very clear black and white to every single person in this room. But there's some people that are on the white side of that issue and some people on the black side of that issue. And so if we had an open discussion here tonight, it would not be a healthy thing. Well, Brian, I don't care what you say. I'm going to drink. You know what? Drink. Don't, don't discuss it. Don't discuss it with anybody at the home fellowship. Don't discuss it with any of the Christian brothers. Don't bring it up. As in, just don't, don't bring it up. You, As he's going to go on and say here, God alone, you're going to be standing before and you're going to judge. Now, why are there certain people who seem to have to bring out this issue, they just seem to not be able to let some of those issues go. And so, you know, they, I know that drinking can be a debated issue, but I've got to tell you my side of it. Why are there those people? Well, I think for some very good reasons. One is I think they're a weaker brother, and they're letting us know they're a weaker brother. So they may be a leader in the church. They may be somebody who's been a Christian for 20 years. And they're at, what do you mean? Drink? You can't drink and be a Christian. Right there. 
God's giving you wisdom, shut your mouth. That's what God's saying. Shut your mouth. They're a weaker brother, and you're going to stumble them. Listen to what they have to say. Let them argue their case, and let the issue drop. Let them win the argument. The weaker brother needs to win the argument. Let them win. They need to win. Why also do those people seem to need to argue their points? Because one is we may need to hear it. You see, a lot of you right now aren't convicted about things you should be convicted about. And as you grow in the Lord, you're going to be amazed that you were never convicted about it sooner. There are some things that in time, as you see more accurately the holiness and the purity and the loveliness of God, you're going to see more and more the ugliness of flesh. And you're going to say, man, why did I ever do that or say that or act that way? Or be? I'm so ashamed of myself. If I knew what I knew right now 20 years ago, oh, I'd have a lot more friends than I do now. But besides that, I, I would have not stumbled people, and I, and I also would have had opportunities to witness. I would truly be a stronger person and character. But I didn't see it till now. Now, why did they see it? Because somebody was telling them their conviction. And their first reaction was, oh, no, 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 I've been here, done that, you know, I already know how I, where I stand on that issue. But as that weaker brother argues his point, he begins to make some points you hadn't heard before. He begins to quote some scriptures and tie them together in such a way that you start saying, wow, the argument I gave myself for going ahead and doing it was basically smashed by two scriptures as he tied them together I didn't know about, never saw before, and wow, I'm going to have to revisit this issue. And as you do, and as you are the Berean and search out those scriptures, you also now become convicted on that point. And you realize it really wasn't just because he was a weaker brother, but it's because it really is offensive to Christ. You've got to understand something about the nature of God, and I really hope you catch this here tonight. Jesus is gentle and lowly of heart. And because he is gentle and lowly of heart, he does not push his way, not even with his children. What do you mean? Well, for instance, if you go back into the law, you'll find the law of giving a whole chapters on how you are to regulate polygamy. Now, for you guys who are married to more than one wife, the law says, here's the way you need to treat those wives, and here's how you can't treat those wives, and, and here's how you've got to treat the kids of those wives. If you, for instance, have a third wife, and, or you have, a, you, know, you have ten wives, and one of them you don't like so much, but yet she's the one who bears you the first male child, just because you don't like her doesn't mean that you can't make her number one child your number one son. He still is the number one heir. And you're, you go into all of this and you go, isn't this wrong? Isn't it wrong to marry more than one wife? Of course it is. And in the New Testament, the Bible clearly states it. In 
the book of Genesis is clearly stated. In the beginning was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve's. But yet, God knows their hearts. If he came and he said, guys, polygamy is wrong. No way, no how, I don't want, any, I don't want to have anything to do with it amongst the Jewish people. A lot of stubborn people would have said, forget you, I'll go live with the Moabites. And God is saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, don't do that. I'm going to regulate it. I don't want it, it's not my desire, I don't like it, but I'm going to regulate it. And in time, as you as the people grow in the Lord, you are going to see that this is yucky and you shouldn't be a part of it. So the time you get up to the time of Christ, sure enough, polygamy amongst the Jews was almost nil. There, Paul writes plainly, dogmatically, and he says anybody wants to be a leader in the church and he has more than one wife, never, no how, no way is he ever going to have any place of leadership in the church at all. He can come, hear the word of God preach, period. So we see that ultimately God is able to make that statement, guys, it's wrong, but he knows that if he tells it the way it is, many people will just take their ball and bat and go home. And he's saying, don't do that, stay. They came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 and says, now, the law permits it that we can divorce. And Jesus jumps in and says, uh-uh. Now, they use the word law as the Torah, as in the first five books of the Bible. They use that word generically. And Jesus jumped in and he said, no. Moses gave you permission to divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. But, if you want to hear it the way it really was written, in the beginning God gave Adam and Eve together to be one flesh. So no more would I take a machete and cut you right down the, the middle of your head and split you right down your body. No more would God ever imagine marriage being split. That's what God said, period. No divorce. It was never invented by God. It was never brought up by God. But God knew you. And he knew if he said, stick it out. You'll be glad you did in 20 years from now. It's just the hardness of heart. Change your thinking. Change your mind. Soften your heart. You'll be glad you did. And if he tried to put that upon you, even though you were so stubborn, you would have said, if you're going to make me live with that woman, I'm going to go live with the Moabites. I'm out of here. Forget Judaism. Forget the law. No, go ahead. But here's how you're going to do it. And there he regulated divorce. He didn't want it. We see the same thing with the king. He, he, he says, I'm your king. It's offensive to me that you would ever ask for any other king. But yet he says, you're going to do it. I know the future. I know you're going to do it. I'm not going to like it. I don't want it. But when you have a king, here's how you to regulate it. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply wars. Don't multiply gold and silver. And to write down the whole law of God and to read it every day. Then we see there in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people said, we want a king like all the other nations. And oh, Samuel was pierced to the heart. God, they're rejecting you. Samuel, don't take it personally. It's me they're rejecting. Don't you be hurting over it. Give them what they want. What? 
You can't give them what... Go tell them the king's going to oppress them. He's going to take their daughters and their sons. He's going to take the best of their land. He's going to take the best of their crops. They're going to be crying out in a day saying, get this king away from us because he's oppressing us. Go tell them that. But tell them I'll give them their king if they want it. And so Samuel gave them the speech and they said, all right, we want a king. And they got their king exactly as they wanted this big, tall, good-looking guy, Saul, from the rich family. A very kingly guy, just like they wanted. And there they had a country come up to fight against them. And Saul, by the Spirit of God, came upon him. He went out and he fought against them and he won. And they all came back cheering and they gave him another coordination. You know, long live King Saul. And boy, they're happy, old man. This king stuff is great. And Samuel stepped up there in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel and he said, okay guys, it looks good right now. (laughs) It's the romance season. But I don't think you got the message. You've really bothered the Lord in this. You've really hurt him. You've really disappointed him. He really doesn't want this at all. And so you will know this. Observe, this is the harvest time. And their thunder and lightning and hell came down and destroyed their crops. And it was such a thunder, it was such an uproar that the people were afraid and they saw their crops destroyed and they cried out going, we see our sin, please, we don't want a king over us. And Samuel said, it's too late. You've got a king. Just don't turn from the Lord any farther than you already have. And so there's many of you that are drinking, shouldn't be. Many of you, it's making a provision for the flesh. Oh, I did pretty good. I only got drunk three times last year. Yeah, that's my point. Getting drunk once is too much. Well, man, I I couldn't imagine football season without beer. Look, I'm not going to discuss it with you. I drink all the beer I want to drink. You drink all the beer you want to drink. I'm not going to put a law on you because it is a doubtful issue. But revisit the issue from time to time. As you grow in the Lord, know the heart of God concerning that issue. I think as you look through the Bible, you're not going to hear the Lord screaming it. You're going to hear Him whispering it. And He's going to be saying in a very still, in a very quiet, in a very meek voice, my best for you is stay away from it, period. However, I know with many people it's a very strong cultural thing. It's a very strong traditional thing. It's a very strong, enjoyable thing. And for me to put my foot down and say, you want to be a member of Calvary Chapel San Diego? No alcohol, period. We're going to miss a lot of beautiful brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're going to leave us. And they're going to grow in the Lord. And 10 years Later, they're going to be involved in another church and, and they're, as they're involved in that church and they're strong in the Lord and they come up and they say, you know what, I stopped drinking a year after I left your church. I saw it very clearly. But you see, who really felt? The guy who left the church? No. Those who made an issue of it. You see... What are we to be like? How are we to be? We are to just love one another. And be, as he says in chapter 12, be at peace with all men, far as it's up to you. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, the Bible says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are truly spiritual aren't going to be making an issue out of these things. Now, what are we to do? We are to just state our position. So I can tell people that I think it's wrong for everybody to drink? Go ahead. But don't argue over it. You state your side, let them state their side, and then say, I love you in the Lord. I think you're wrong. But I love you in the Lord. Now, the thing that I have learned over the years is I am in such disagreement with myself most of the time. One day I just make such a beautiful argument and agree with myself. Make such a beautiful argument on the other side and I have to disagree with myself from the day before. So I, I realize that I can't even find 100% agreement with myself. How am I going to decide to have 100% agreement with other people? We're not. And so if you want to say, I want all or nothing, you are going to get nothing. I want everybody to 100% agree on these issues or nothing. We're going to get nothing. Because we get the 10% of people out here that disagree with us on drinking, and tomorrow another issue comes up. And we get another 10% out. And, and then we have another disagreement, and now we lose the other 50%, and, and eventually you're by yourself and you're still arguing. <laughs> and so, again, what signifies us as believers is the world would see our love for one another. You see, they would see our love for one another, and they would know that we're Jesus' disciples. The fact of the matter is, is we're all weak in many, many ways. And therefore, God is clearly speaking to you very profoundly, very powerfully to not do certain things or to always do certain things. And how true that is. But if it is not something clearly stated in the scriptures, you see what I'm saying? Now for you to say you always have to do this or you're not right with God, that steps into legalism. For you always to do that or not to do that, it's sin. You're not, you're not in right relationship with God if you do that or if you don't do that. For you, it is sin. That is absolutely true. God has spoken it to you. He's shown you scriptures. He's burned them into your heart as you read them. And you're looking at that scripture going, man, that scripture is clearly telling me that I need to do it. I have a wonderful brother in the Lord, and, and he is the most opposite of a morning person. You could, he is not a morning person at all. As a matter of fact, he's not even a, a barely a noon person. His brain doesn't stop, start really working until about one o'clock. But I mean, midnight, man, is his peak hour. He's, he's going strong, you know. I've challenged him in every way possible to change that habit. Have not been successful in the last 20 years. Now, as I read the scripture, there is something spiritual about the mornings. And there is something uniquely spiritual about seeking the Lord in the morning. And I have tested it. 
If I am not in the Word in the morning, I'm not seeking the Lord first thing in the morning, man, I am all flesh the rest of the day. I might as well just lock myself in the closet because I'm only going to cause harm and, and, and not going to bless anybody all day. That's. But yet I cannot find a, as many as scriptures as I can find. I mean, there's a lot of them. Jesus got up early in the morning. I mean, that pretty well settles it with me. David, you know, got up early in the morning. There's a lot of people that got up early in the morning. But of course, he loves those scriptures about, you know, praising the Lord in the night watches. And so, you know, we both have our scriptures, touche, touche, you know. But for me, it is sin. If I'm not up in the morning in the Word, it's sin. It really is. For him, no big deal at all. He's still soaking on what he read at 2 o'clock in the morning the night before, you know, until at least 3 o'clock in the day. He's doing good on that. And so now, as much as I am instilling that conviction in my children, as much as I'm telling the believers here, guys, that's the way to go. Because I, I, I truly believe that. And, and because I'm the pastor here, I'm going to put that conviction. But yet there are those people that will try to do that and will trial and error it. And they'll end up like my good buddy, who's, you know, his best time is in the Word, is in midnight. And, and that's okay too. And they'll usually come and talk to me saying, man, I, I try the morning thing, it, it just doesn't work for me. Well, try the midnight thing, see how that works. I do know we need to meditate, chew on God's Word day and night. We always need to be chewing on God's Word. That's clear. That's plain. If you're not doing that, you're not going to be strong. You're not going to bear fruit. Your leaf is going to wither. You're not going to prosper in all that you do. It, it doesn't really matter. But when is that particular time where you're feeding time, you know, where you get that food in your first stomach to chew it up, to get it down into your second, third, and fourth stomach? When is that time... Well, again, I think it's morning. I think I can make a very good argument for that. But I've had others that say, well, it doesn't say do it or you're in sin. It does say meditate in God's word day and night or you're blowing it. It does say that clearly. We both agree on that point. And so there are those, again, who want to dispute over doubtful things. We don't want to do it. And in verse 2, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So let him who eats despise him, not, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. You, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So you say, man, I just don't see how that guy can go to the Padre game and keep walking with the Lord. Well, God will make him stand. That's how. Well, I don't see how that guy can really grow in the Lord if he's not in the Word first thing in the Word. Well, God will bring him to that conviction. Well, I just don't see how, you know, I know some Christians went out and they all drank and I, it just really bothers me. Well, God will deal with them. What are you to do? Not to judge. To their own master, they stand or fall. 
Imagine if you were there at Vons or and you're an employee of Lucky's. And there as you walk into Vons, they're stacking the shelves a certain way and you're going, that's dumb. Here's how you stack the shelves. Because they taught us at Lucky's and here's how you do it. And so here this guy from Lucky is restacking all the shelves at Vons. And he's getting all the employees together in the back for a company meeting to go over with them how to stack properly. And there the manager shows up and says, exactly who are you? Well, I'm somebody who knows a whole lot more than these Vaughn employers of yours. What right do you have? You see, he has no right there. I told him to stack it this way. Go shop at Vaughn's or go shop at Lucky's. That's where you work, you know. Don't, don't be messing with my employees. In the same way, to God, he will make us stand. God will convict us. God will lead us. Now, does that mean we can't talk to one another? No way. We need to. As a pastor, I need to constantly provoke. The word provoke, irritate. That's my, one of my jobs as a pastor. <laughs> I'm good at it, I know. That's one of my jobs. I've got to irritate you guys to love and to good works. As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. It is part of my job to cause sparks to fly when I preach. It's part of your job to your Christian friends to cause sparks. To say, I know that's what you're thinking, but are you right? You know, sparks are flying. The pressure, it's starting to heat up. And, and, and then to say, well, whatever you're thinking, and to leave it. But we need to constantly challenge one another why it's called day. We need to constantly encourage one another why it's called day. We need to constantly be saying, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we, not, are we doing stuff we shouldn't probably be doing? Are we not doing stuff we should be doing? And as we speak to one another, guess what happens? God uses it. But if we end that conversation by saying, I don't agree with you, there should be the love that says, great. It's no problem for you to disagree with me. It's not, these are all peripheral issues. Now, if it's an issue, again, over a major doctrinal issue, then it's not okay. We've got to settle this argument one way or another. But if it's not a doctrinal, if it's a peripheral issue, great. You can still say that. You can still do that. You can still not do that. And, and you feel that you're okay with God. That's okay then. I love you as much. I respect you as much. That's an important word. I respect you as much. I, I still know that God is at work in you, doing a wonderful work. Of course, I know you do a better work if you do what I say, but <laughs> outside of that, I, I, I understand. And so Paul says there in Philippians 3, let's press on to grab a hold of what God's grabbed a hold of us for. As many as are mature have this mind, but in Philippians 3 he says, if you don't have this mind, then just stay where you're at. Stay where you're at and let God open that door and say, God, I'm willing for you to show me. So maybe you're here tonight and, and the issue of drinking, I, I think a Christian can drink. Fine. That's not going to be a divisive issue between us. But as this sermon is preached tonight or as a brother has talked to you about it, 
You need to go to the Lord and keep having that open heart saying, God, are you saying something to me that I'm unwilling to hear? Or if somebody says something about being in the Word in the morning, you're, oh, you're stabbed tonight going, man, the Lord so clearly showed me that eight months ago and, and for the last two months I haven't been doing it. Man, Brian, that was the Lord. You brought that up tonight. I know God is reminding me to get up first thing in the morning to get into the Word. Man, or some of you going, well, I've really not really had a major feeding time in the Word. Uh, morning, night, noon, I, I've never really considered it. Well, that's why the issue was brought up tonight. You need to have a major feeding time in the Word. Because you've got to get the grass inside, so then you can chew it up like the cow. That's the word meditation. You say you chew it up. Then it goes down to the next stomach, next stomach, the next stomach. He just regurgitates it back into his mouth. You've got to have that fresh grass every day so you can regurgitate throughout the day so you can eventually digest it and it get into your heart don't wait for sunday to be your major feeding time because huh, by tuesday man you're malnutritioned you need to you need to, to have that word every single day well i've got six pages of notes and didn't use one line off of any of my notes i uh well, maybe a couple lines, but uh, we're going to get mainly into the issue of eating next week, one of my favorite topics. <laughs> my four favorite words, all you can eat. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word. And oh Lord, let it be said of us here at Calvary San Diego, oh how they love one another. And that we truly can agree to disagree on these peripheral issues. We know there's doctrinal issues so much more important that we need to be willing to, to die for them. They're so important. But for other issues, God, there should not even be any bleeding over them because they're just not an issue that should divide the body. Lord, wake us up spiritually here tonight that we would not stumble anybody with our lives, but that we would definitely take to heart issues of other people's convictions to say, should they be mine? But by definitely not wounding them because it clearly is one for them. Lord, wake us up here tonight to be able to encourage one another, to provoke one another, to bring about a growth that faithful are those wounds of the friend to cause us to grow together as believers. Be glorified as we meditate on these things here tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you need prayer for anything,